0: Questions to the Prime Minister, Tristram Hunt. Number one, sir. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, before listing my engagements, the whole House will wish to join me in sending our sympathies and our condolences to the family of Captain Walter Barry of 1st Battalion, the Royal Regiment of Scotland. He was described as a fantastic, engaging and professional soldier. He will be truly missed by all who knew him. Our nation must never forget his service and his sacrifice. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today.
1: Tristram Hunt. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Captain Barry and all our soldiers working so heroically in Afghanistan? Mr Speaker, in Stoke-on-Trent, libraries are closing, teachers are being laid off and youth clubs are shutting their doors. Given that public funds funds are so precious, Mr Speaker, does the Prime Minister really think it was a good use of taxpayers' money to waste £100 million on the farcical Police and Crime Commissioner elections in November?
0: Right across the country, we're now going to have local law and order champions who are going to stand up for the public and make sure we get a good deal from the police. Now, I've noticed that Labour have two criticisms of the police and crime commissioners. On the one hand, they've said we spent too much money. On the other hand, they said that we didn't spend enough money promoting it. Well, I'm prepared to accept one criticism or the other, but not both. Claire Perry. Yesterday, the British government, borrowed
1: national
0: investors at record low levels, saving taxpayers millions of pounds. Does he agree with me? This is more evidence our economic My honourable friend makes a good point, which is because of the fact we have a credible plan to get on top of debt, to get on top of deficit, to show how we'll pay our way in the world, we have record low interest rates, low interest rates which were described by the Shadow Chancellor as the key test of economic credibility.
1: Mr Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can I start by joining the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Captain Walter Barry of 1st Battalion, the Royal Regiment of Scotland. He showed the utmost courage and bravery, and all of our thoughts and condolences are with his family and friends. Can I also express, Mr Speaker, my deep sorrow about the loss of life and suffering in Israel and Gaza in recent days, including the latest appalling terrorist attack on a bus in Tel Aviv? Uh, Mr Speaker, there is widespread support on all sides of this House for an immediate and durable ceasefire being agreed in Israel and Gaza. So will the Prime Minister set out, in his view, what are the remaining barriers
0: to this ceasefire agreement now being reached? Well, first of all, can I say how much I agree with the right hon. Gentleman about the appalling news this morning about the terrorist attack on uh, a bus in Tel Aviv? And can I also uh, express our deep concern at the intolerable situation for people in southern Israel and for the grave loss of life in Gaza? He asked specifically what more we can do to try and help bring this ceasefire about. I think that all of us, right across uh, the European Union, including also uh, America and beyond, need to be putting pressure both on the Israeli Prime Prime Minister, and on uh, all those that have contacts with Hamas, to de-escalate, to stop the fighting, to stop the, the, the bombing, and that is exactly what I have done. Over the weekend, I spoke twice to the Israeli Prime Minister, once to the uh, President of Israel. Uh, my right honorable friend the Foreign Secretary is working very hard uh, on this as well, to persuade both sides that we need a ceasefire, and then beyond that, obviously, what we need is proper discussions about the future uh, of Israel and Palestine. Ed Mr
1: Speaker, I agree with the Prime Minister and and he's right to say that any such ceasefire deal can only be turned into permanent peace if there are a meaningful resumption of negotiations towards a two-state solution. This week has shown us once again that there is neither peace nor a peace process And the reality is that the international community does bear some responsibility for the abject failure of having those meaningful negotiations nine years on from the promise of the roadmap for peace. So can he therefore set out to the House what steps beyond the the hoped-for ceasefire need to be taken to pressure both sides into meaningful negotiations?
0: Well, first of all, let me agree with him that we do need a process to be put in place and I think that we need to do everything we can to persuade President Obama that this should be a leading priority for his second presidential term. But I would make this point, that of course, while we all want this process and we all want this peace, in the end, peace can only come about by Israelis and Palestinians sitting down and talking through the final status issues. They have to discuss borders, Jerusalem, refugees. In the end, as President Obama is, Fond of saying, and I would uh, agree with it, we cannot want this more than they want it. We have to encourage them. We have to provide the framework, push for a process. But in the end, we need courageous leadership from Israelis and Palestinians to talk through those final status issues.
1: Miliband. Mr Speaker, that's completely right. But we have to use every means at our disposal to pressure both sides into those negotiations. Because the reality is that the confidence that there can be a two-state solution is dwindling month by month. Now, there will be an opportunity to support the cause of the two-state solution at the UN General Assembly later this month, recognising enhanced observer status for the Palestinian Authority. Now, Now, we on this side have supported this because we believe it will strengthen the moderate voices among the Palestinians who want to pursue the path of politics and not the path of violence. Can I urge the Prime Minister to consider adopting this position in the days ahead?
0: Minister. Well, first of all, again, let me agree with him on the first part of what he said, which is that confidence is dwindling, that there is time left for a two state solution. And I think that is why there is such a sense of urgency amongst the international community. This could be the last chance for peace because the facts on the ground are are changing. I think, frankly, it's so much in Israel's interest now to push for the two state solution, so we should keep up the pressure. On the issue of a potential vote at the United Nations, it is our view, and I know the Foreign Secretary set this out for the House yesterday in some detail. It is our view that the Palestinians should not take this to the UN in the short term and we've urged them not to do that. Clearly if they do so, we will have to consider uh, the right way to vote. But in the end, the point is this. We will not solve this problem at the United Nations. This problem will be solved by Israelis and Palestinians sitting down and negotiating. And there may indeed be dangers from pushing it too early at the UN in terms of a cut-off of funds for the Palestinian Authority and all the other consequences that could follow. So in the end, let's get negotiations going rather than discussions at the UN. Alan Beeth. If the Prime Minister wants to send a clear message that Scotland and England... Belong together and have a better future together. Shouldn't he be doing his best to make sure that the principal road from London to Edinburgh is a modern dual carriageway and doesn't become
1: country lane?
0: My right honourable friend makes a very attractive uh, spending bid for the autumn statement. And uh, while, I, while my right honourable friend the Chancellor isn't here, I'm sure that uh, other Treasury colleagues would have been listening closely. Julie Hilling. Mr Speaker.
1: Uh, The Prime Minister claimed universal credit will bring about the most fundamental and radical changes to the welfare system since it began. So, given the government's propensity for omni-shambles, can he guarantee that the second phase of Universal Credit will be implemented in April 2014 and not delayed?
0: Universal Credit is a good reform and I thought it was welcomed across the House because it's going to put in place proper work incentives for people at all levels of income and it's also highly progressive in channelling money to those who need it most. I can tell the Honourable Lady that Universal Credit is on time and on budget And indeed, we're going to be having a pilot scheme starting shortly. Mr. Robert Buckland. Mr. Speaker, Speaker, the person responsible for the murder of Becky Godden Edwards, whose mother is my constituent, has not been brought to justice because important incriminating evidence was excluded as part of the court process. Would my right honourable friend join our calls? for a thorough review of Code C of the Police and Criminal Evidence Act so that terrible situations like this will not happen in future? Uh, I will look very carefully at what my honourable friend has raised in the specific case uh, that he mentions uh, and look also at this issue of the Police and Criminal uh, Evidence Act. It is always important that all information that possibly can be put in front of a court is put in front of a court so the court can reach uh, the correct correct decision. Rosie Cooper. Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you Mr Speaker. Cuts in frontline police together with cuts to police pensions and conditions of service
1: has led to ninety six per cent of the police force believing that this government doesn't
0: support them. Does the Prime Minister think that's a problem and if so, what will he do about it? This government strongly supports our police service and what they do these are people who go out every day and put their lives on the line to keep the rest of us safe. Now frankly, whoever was in government right now would have to be making cuts to police budgets, but if we actually look at what's happening in policing, we see the number of neighbourhood police has gone up we see the percentage of police on the front line has gone up we see the number of police in back office roles has gone down, crucially crime is down and satisfaction with the police is up. Yeah. Damien Hines. Sir Speaker, yeah. so, uh, so people don't have to wade through hundreds of bamboozling tariff plans, will the Prime Minister confirm that this government will legislate to ensure people can access the best deals something the Leader of the Opposition failed to do as Energy yeah. Secretary? to tell my honourable friend that having stood at this dispatch box and saying that we wanted to ensure that people got access to the lowest tariffs, that is exactly what we have achieved. If there are colleagues opposite who have doubt about this, let me quote the Labour Shadow Energy Minister, who said this about our change. It means some of the most expensive deals would have to go. Being able to reduce the number of tariffs for people is going to help people get a clearer picture of what is happening, and that can only be a good thing. That's the sort of endorsement that I welcome. Mr Ed Miliband. Speaker,
1: the government promised that there should be no rationing in the NHS on grounds of cost alone.
0: Can the Prime Minister tell us whether he has kept that promise? Look, the promise that we have kept is that we said we'd increase NHS spending every year under this government. And in, in in Britain, in England, that is what is happening. In Wales, of course, there is a massive cut in the NHS because it's run by Labour. Well, first of all, Mr. Speaker, there are 7,000 fewer
1: nurses in the NHS than when he came to power in the figures published this morning. But I was asking him a very specific question about the promise made by the then Health Secretary. I know he sacked him. He's now the leader of the House. Uh, He promised a year ago, he promised a year ago, there'll be no rationing on the grounds of cost alone. And this is what the President of the Royal College of Ophthalmologists recently said. Well, I think you should listen to the President of the Royal College of Ophthalmologists, actually said this, PCTs are not following government guidelines. Half of health commissioners are restricting access to cataract surgery. I don't think you should ask for help from him. He got rid of him from the post. Can he? So can the Prime Minister tell me why, for the first time in six years, the number of cataract operations actually fell last year?
0: Yeah. What I can tell him is that under this government, the number of doctors is up, the number of operations is up, waiting lists are down, waiting times are down. That is what's happening because we took the responsible decision. He quotes primary care Trust. Of course, we are abolishing primary care Trust. And putting that money into frontline services. That is what's happening under this government. They believe, he believes, that increasing spending on the NHS is irresponsible. We think it's the right thing to do. Mr Speaker,
1: once again, he has no clue about the detail. He just has no idea what is actually happening out there on the ground. I mean, he did make, give him credit, Mr Speaker, though, he did make history this week. He's got his very own word in the Oxford English Dictionary, omni-shambles. And the reality is the reason why people are suffering on the ground is he's wasted billions of pounds on a top-down reorganisation of the NHS that nobody wanted and nobody voted for, just like he wasted millions of pounds on police commissioner elections. He doesn't listen, he's out of touch, and last Thursday the people of Corby spoke for the country.
0: Last Thursday the people of Humberside spoke for the whole nation. Because, of course, the former Deputy Prime Minister, John Prescott, said this. This is not just about the police, he says. This is a referendum on everything this government's done. On health, on education, on the local authorities. And people took the first opportunity to kick him out the subject, and on the subject of making history this week, I think the leader of the Labour Party made some history this week, because he told his conference he wanted to be Disraeli, he told Radio 4 he wanted to be Margaret Thatcher, he came to this house and said on Europe he's more Eurosceptic than Bill Cash, and then he went to the CBI and he said he loved Europe even more than Tony Blair. He's impersonated more politicians than Rory Bremner, but this time, this time the joke's on him. Uh,
1: thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, does my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, agree with me that a free press is one of the cornerstones of a true democracy, yeah, yeah. and that any attempt to muzzle newspapers, such as the excellent Kent Messenger Group in my own constituency
0: <laughs> should be strenuously resisted? It's an important point, and I, uh, I, I, I join him in my admiration of the Kent Messenger Group and all that they do. And it is an important point, because the problems that we've had in our newspaper industry have not really been about regional and local titles that perform an incredibly important function uh, in, in, our, in our democratic system. I think though, we all have to wait uh, for the Leveson report and study that carefully and then respond to what he said. Tom Harris.
1: Mr Speaker, allow me to present a tale of two companies. The first, Red Hawk Comics in my constituency, employs seven people and pays every penny of tax due on time. Yeah. Its main competitor, Amazon UK, brings in revenue of up to £4.5 billion, and yet last year paid less than £1 million in tax. Yeah. Will the Prime Minister follow the example of the French Government, which has issued a back claim for unpaid tax against Amazon? Or... Will he allow us to draw our own conclusions about whose side he's on? <laughs>
0: I think the Honourable Gentleman makes an important point about uh, making sure that companies make fair contributions and fair tax payments in our country. What we have done is put an extra £900 million specifically into the Inland Revenue to try and make sure that we do uh, uh, properly get companies and individuals to pay their taxes and yesterday I announced that one of the key priorities of the G8 which I will be chairing from January and holding the G8 I'm pleased to announce in in County Fermanagh in Northern Ireland uh, in June of next year. One of the key priorities will be to make sure that we get proper international agreements so that companies pay their taxes properly. Paul
1: Apple, Speaker, could I highlight to my right honourable friend a free school which is opening in Wolverhampton next year. This will be in one of the most deprived wards in Wolverhampton. will provide a
0: real ladder for social mobility for young people. It's a great tangible advert for what this government is doing in terms of education. And he's more than welcome to visit. Yeah a very kind invitation from my honourable friend. I held a uh, recent meeting at number 10 Downing Street for all of the 78 free schools that have been established over the last two and a half years. I think we're making good progress. I want to see many hundreds of free schools established between now and the next election. And I think it is of note that whereas the last government managed 200 academies in 13 years, we've done 2,000 in two and a half years. So academies, free schools, we want to give this agenda the biggest possible boost that we can. Question number seven, closed question, Mr. Brian Donohoe. Seven, a, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> I look forward to visiting Scotland soon, and I will obviously uh, look carefully at whether I can visit the uh, Honourable Gentleman's constituency or, Air or Central Ayrshire. Brian Donohoe. Minister, for his response, uh, a few months ago he came to Troon in my constituency, and he was going to give me the opportunity of taking him around. Mm. One of the areas I was going to take him to was the Troon shipyard, where I served my apprenticeship. Many years ago, in fact, he would soon probably have been in short trousers, but outside the door of that shipyard on a Thursday was a man called the Tally Man, who was a loan shark. He charged half a crown, which is 12 and a half pence, a week per pound for for the loan that he would give the shipyard worker. Today, we're hearing all about these... Order, can we have a question? A short sentence, now... The question, this uh, Mr. Speaker, is: You hold one of the great offices of the state. So does the Prime Minister. What is he personally going to do to drive these sharks out of our economies? Yes, yes. First of all, I did enjoy my visit to uh, Troon. Uh, I made the offer to the Honourable Gentleman then that I would happily share a platform with him to defend our United Kingdom. And for some reason, the invitation got lost in the post. So I make the offer again, if he would would like to do that. He makes a serious point about payday loans, and we've seen the uh, OFT report, uh, which is a preliminary report before their full report, and I think we do need to take action here. That is why we're giving the Office of Fair Trading a new power to suspend a consumer credit licence with immediate effect, where there is an urgent need to protect consumers, what the OFT report shows is that many companies are not sticking to the guidelines set out, and that is not acceptable.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. has my right honourable friend seen the recent experience study, which showed that Milton Keynes is the area of the UK best placed to lead economic growth, with forecast growth of 3.1% in the next year? <coughs>
0: Uh, My honourable friend is a great spokesman for for Milton Keynes and has welcomed me there uh, many times. It does have a successful economy based largely on small and medium-sized enterprises. One of the things we need to change, though, in Milton Keynes and elsewhere is to get the housing market moving again. uh, And I'm convinced that that is an important part of, of driving recovery in our economy. Mrs Mary Glindon. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Many young apprentices receive very low wages, the youngest only £2.60 an hour. So, is it fair for the Prime Minister to take away housing benefit
1: from young people who simply cannot live with their parents but are trying really hard to build a future for themselves?
0: Well, first of all, this government strongly supports the growth of apprenticeships, and we've seen something like a million new apprenticeships under this government. On the issue of housing benefit, which I know is a very important issue, I think where there is a problem, and this is something that needs proper attention, is we do seem to give some young people a choice today, which is if you're on Job Seekers Allowance you can have access to housing benefit, whereas if you're living at home and trying to work, you can't. And we do need to recognise that the signals we send through our welfare system are, in many case is sending a negative signal to to young people.
1: Andrew Stunnall, Is it still the Prime Minister's intention that this should be the greenest government ever?
0: (laughs) Yes it is and it's this government that in record time has established a green investment bank which is now in Edinburgh and starting to make loans. Simon Danjook. Thank you Mr Speaker. Uh, I'm sure the Prime Minister agrees with me that a government spokesman describing the Children's Commissioners report into child abuse today as hysterical is extremely unhelpful. Yeah. Victims of abuse already find it difficult to come forward, including those who were abused by Cyril Smith in Rochdale. On that issue, will the Prime Minister now help these victims by publishing all the police files on Smith, and ensure a police investigation takes place into all the allegations and into any cover-up? Well, first of all, on the Honourable Gentleman's first point, it's a very serious issue that is being examined. Uh, It's an interim report that has been produced that we need to study very carefully. It has some extremely disturbing findings. We need to give every encouragement to the Children Commissioner to to make sure that the final version of the report is is produced. On the specific issue, on on the specific issue he raises, which is a very serious allegations about a former member of this House. I understand that Greater Manchester Police have today confirmed they will now investigate any allegations of sexual abuse involving the late Sir Sir Cyril Smith that happened from 1974 onwards. I would say to the Honourable Gentleman, as to all members of this House, particularly in the light of what's happened perhaps over the last few weeks, if anyone has information, if anyone has facts, then take them to the police. That is the way we should investigate these things in this country. Mr David Ruffley. Thank you, uh, Mr Mr. Speaker, businesses are helping to cut the borrowing deficit by paying tax on their profits, but some multinationals appear to be paying very low amounts of UK corporate tax, like Starbucks and Amazon. I wonder if the Prime Minister uh, could tell the House whether he thinks this part of the tax code needs investigating. I think it does need investigating. I've asked the Treasury to do that. They're looking as hard as they can at what can be done. There are clearly some things one can do nationally, and that's worth examining. But because we live in a competitive global economy where companies can move capital around, move their headquarters around, move money around, you do need greater international agreements. Now, we've come to a very important international agreement with Switzerland, which is going to recover billions of pounds of tax for our country. But we need to work hard, and that's where I think the G8 help to make sure that we, we get a fair, a fair share of tax from companies, particularly given the fact that Britain is doing its part to cut rates of corporation tax down to some of the most competitive in the world. Eight Hoey. Mr Speaker, um, the Prime Minister quite rightly praised the wonderful work of the London's emergency services during the Olympics, Paralympics and Her Majesty's Jubilee. Does he share with me now the concern of London public? That the, uh, the numbers of fire stations that are threatened with closure, in particular the one in Clapham, Old Town, in my constituency. And would he agree? Would he join the campaign to save it? Would he also agree that it's not right to choose a fire station to close it simply because it's on very expensive land? Well, obviously, this is a, an issue for for the mayor as well as for the government. I would look very, I look very closely at what the honourable lady says. I think we all have to recognise that the most important thing in terms of emergency services is the time it takes for them to get to an incident and while all of us as constituency MPs are naturally focused on the bricks and mortar uh, items of uh, whether it is ambulance stations or fire stations or, or, or indeed other facilities what really matters for our constituents is how quickly do the emergency services get to them and how good is the service when they do Tony Baldry um, does, my, uh, does my right hon. Friend Uh, share
1: my deep disappointment, and I, I know that of many on all sides of the House, that yesterday the Church of England failed to make proper provision for women bishops uh, a sad day for our national church and our national character, particularly given that 42 out of 44 dioceses had voted overwhelmingly in support of women bishops. And it's not the consequence of this vote, not that the danger of the Church of England is some sort of disestablishment, but simply
0: disinterest. Yeah. I think my uh, Right Honourable Friend speaks with great expertise and knowledge about this. On a personal basis, I'm a strong supporter of women bishops. I'm very sad about the way the vote went yesterday. And I'm particularly uh, sad for the Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, because I know that he saw this as a major campaign that he wanted to achieve at the end of his excellent tenure of that office. I think it's important uh, for the Church of England uh, to be a modern church in touch with society as it is today. And this was a key step they needed to take. Mr Ian Wright. Thank you very much Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister promised that his start-up loan scheme would provide two and a half thousand loans to young entrepreneurs to get their business ideas off the ground. Only 43 loans have been granted. Why hasn't he delivered on his promise? Well, first of all, the Start-Up Loans Initiative I think is a very strong one and I want to look at putting even more resources into it because I think there is a major demand for it. At the same time as Start-Up Loans, of course, there is the Enterprise Allowance Scheme that originally was only available after people have been unemployed for three months. Under this government, it is now going to be available from the first day of being unemployed. If you look back to the 1980s, many people used an Enterprise Allowance Scheme to start up their first business, their first foot rung on the ladder and those are the sorts of people we want to help. Angela Watkinson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> Would the Prime Minister join me in congratulating Drapers Academy in the most deprived ward in my constituency, sponsored by the Drapers Company and Queen Mary College London? In only its second year, it has become the fastest improving school in the whole country and it's a wonderful example of the government's academy scheme. <laughs> Certainly, join the Honourable Lady, and I think one of the strengths of the Academy programme is getting sponsors like the the Drapers' Company, like businesses, and and other organisations to get behind the school and help to change uh, the culture and to help to improve it. And that is why uh, last week we set a new target for academies taking over failing primary schools because we think academies shouldn't be restricted to secondary schools. We want to see sponsored academies taking over primary schools where results aren't good enough. And I think one thing that everyone in this house can now focus on is there are schools in some inner city areas that because of effective academy sponsors are doing better than schools in some of the leafy shires and suburbs and so we can use this change to drive up aspiration, to drive up achievement right across our education system.
1: Ben Bradshaw, following his answer to the honourable member for Banbury a moment ago, Given that the Church of England is the established Church, will he consider what this Parliament can do to ensure that the overwhelming will of members of the Church of England and of this country is respected?
0: Well, i have certainly look carefully at what the uh, right honourable gentleman says. What, what I would say, though, is the Church has its own processes and own elections. Hard for some of us to understand... Um, and we have to respect individual institutions and the decisions they make. But it doesn't mean we should hold back in saying what we think. Now, I'm very clear. The time is right for women bishops. It was right many years ago. They need to get on with it, as it were, and get with the programme. But you do have to respect the individual institutions and the way they work, while giving them a sharp prod. Mr David Nuttall, Mr Speaker. the The cut in this country's EU budget rebate
1: which was agreed to by the last Labour government, is now costing taxpayers £2 billion every single year. Will the Prime Minister please confirm that in the forthcoming budget negotiations he will not
0: agree to any further reduction in this rebate? I can certainly give my honourable friend that assurance. The rebate negotiated by Margaret Thatcher is an incredibly important part of Britain's position in Europe and making sure we get a fair deal. And it is absolutely extraordinary that the last government gave away almost half of that rebate. And we've never heard one word of apology, one word of regret for the fact that however hard we fight in Europe, and I will be fighting incredibly hard this week for a good deal, they cut away our feet by giving away half the rebate. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker.
1: Could I congratulate the Prime Minister on his very wise decision to bring the G8 Summit to County Fermanagh? And could I confirm to the Prime Minister the enthusiasm with which that decision has been received in Fermanagh? But could I ask him if he
0: believes that it will be possible to bring further similar prestigious events to Northern Ireland in the future? Well, I will certainly look at that. I, I believe it uh, really is the right decision for the G8 to be based uh, in Northern Ireland and at Lockhearn uh, on the 17th and 18th of June. And what I thought was interesting yesterday, standing there with the First Minister and Deputy First Minister in Northern Ireland, talking about this situation, something that would be unthinkable 20 years ago to have that sort of event uh, with so many world leaders coming uh, to Northern Ireland, that I think it will be a great advertisement for Northern Ireland, a great advertisement for everything that people in Northern Ireland can achieve. Achieve, and I hope the harbinger of further events to come.
1: Andrew Salou. Does the Prime Minister agree that the United Kingdom's retention of its AAA status when France lost its AAA rating this week shows that the UK retains the confidence of international markets because of the difficult but necessary decisions that we are taking?
0: Honourable Friend makes a good point, which is because we've set out a clear plan, we're able to have low interest rates, we're able to have international confidence, which is absolutely, you know, line one, paragraph one of the proper growth plan for the UK. Order, I'm grateful to the Prime Minister and colleagues. Point of order, Diana Johnson.